when quarantine first started, I was kind of in this mindset of, oh, like things will be back to normal soon enough. And I was kind of not being productive in the sense of I was just waiting for things to go back to normal instead of utilizing the time now. As millions across the country wait for the COVID-19 vaccine to be rolled out, here's a question you're probably tired of hearing. When do things go back to normal? But honestly, do we even want normal? We're bringing back a special conversation from August of last year, back when we were in the throes of the pandemic. I had the chance to sit down with Ben, a proud Gen Xer and creative director at Thought Matter, as well as Louisa, a high school student from New York City and Thought Matter's very first virtual intern. To me, this was an intergenerational conversation at its finest, because I was able to get a young intern and a creative industry veteran to riff off of each other on a range of topics, from their surprising experiences with isolation to systemic racism and the impact of the Black Lives Matter movement. Plus, a hot tip from Louisa. If you're trying to spend less time on your phone, maybe don't download TikTok. Together, we tackled questions like, how do you define the new normal? How has remote learning and working changed the way we communicate? And how will a breakout moment for racial justice change our long-term view of systemic racism? I loved reflecting on this conversation from the summer, and I hope you do too. I'm Jesse McGuire. Let's get right into it. So Ben Greengrass, you are the creative director at Thought Matter. Can you tell us a little bit about about yourself and uh, what you've been up to in isolation? A little bit about myself. So, yeah, since lockdown, I've pretty much, you know, pretty much kept myself to myself. I haven't been going out a lot. Maybe like essential trips to cut supplies or things I've really had to do. But in general, I've kept it pretty local, which has been interesting in itself because the way I describe it is before lockdown, I was anything but local. I would literally just go everywhere else and then come back to, to where I live and, and that would probably be it. But no, I have I have spent a lot of time in in this area. I think my records uh, three and a half weeks without without actually going out of the house. And I kind of you know haven't haven't really needed to because I've got most things here that I need. So you know I think as the the grip gets loosened and we can go out and do more things, obviously will. But now every trip out, you know, or so far every trip out has felt like a bit of a big excursion. And, it, and actually, it's made some of the smaller things you do, like going to pick some glasses up from the opticians or having a haircut, seem like a major event. So I guess that's how I describe it at the moment. And Louisa, you are a high school student. You are Thought Matters summer virtual intern. Yeah, I'm a senior in high school. I'm really interested in like film and art, excited to start this internship. It's been going well. Like when I tell my high school friends about what I'm doing, they're like, how is that real? Like, how do you get paid for that? And also like I, I'm doing the same thing during quarantine. Like my mom is high risk. So we haven't been going out or seeing anyone and i'm also someone who like i like take the train a lot um i have friends who live like pretty far away like in deep brooklyn and i live downtown manhattan so i'm like constantly taking the train everywhere so i definitely miss like morning commutes and commutes in general a lot but now we're out we're in the catskills so we did get away from the city and it feels like the pandemic isn't real here almost because we're so far away from other people. We don't even like see people wearing masks, you know? Ben, you started to say that it, you hadn't left the house in three and a half weeks and that's not anything like your your typical uh, outlook. So I'd love to know what you have learned about yourself during this time. Well, first and foremost, I think I've probably learned that I, I, I don't actually mind hanging around this area, this house, this kind of, you know, I, I always thought that 
and, and I always did. I always used to want to be out somewhere doing something, doing you know, pretty much every weekend or out most of the weekend doing something else. But I guess I've, I've learned to appreciate where I live a little bit more, learned to appreciate kind of the environment. Having a garden helps. I was chatting with somebody about it yesterday. If I didn't have a garden, I think I think I'd be going crazy. So. Another thing I learned is that I really like eating vegetables. My diet has absolutely turned on its head. I haven't had red meat for like nearly probably four months. So that's a big change. And luckily, I took delivery of a, of a, of a Peloton bike the week before the lockdown. So I really like I really like cycling as well, funnily. And I didn't even know that. So yeah, so I feel like there's one or two things I've learned. I don't think I've learned anything, anything like, you know, world changing or that groundbreaking, but the little things. That's great. And Lisa, are there little things that you've learned about yourself or have learned about being home with your parents 24 seven? Um, well, for me, the biggest thing really was like remote learning for school was actually really difficult for me. Oh, the majority of kids I go to high school with were like, Oh, my grades went up so much because we don't have to like stress about tests and I have more time to do stuff. And I kind of like get to make my own schedule. But for me, it was like the complete opposite. I'm someone who like, I I have depression and it's hard for me to do things without certain structure, I would say. So I feel like not physically being in school, not like having, you know, these like habitual things that we do daily threw me off my balance a little bit. And like my grades started to go down. Eventually, like the online school did become the habitual thing. Like I kind of just had to get used to it and like power through a little bit. And also like the thing that I found the most helpful was waking up early. Cause I'm like, I sleep a lot. I sleep a lot, but I would always like do my morning call for school. And then I'd go back to sleep. Like, Oh, I like deserve it. I like did my morning call. It's time to go back to bed. Definitely not. Definitely staying awake was the best thing that I could have done. Cause then I just get all my work done and then go about my day. And the other thing would be like reading. I stopped reading for fun this year really because we had so many readings I had to do for school and like so much schoolwork and then as the schoolwork kind of dialed down I got more into reading for fun like I have so many books on my desk now like I just finished reading The Plague by Camus because of the pandemic I was like gotta read it but (laughs) yeah (laughs) see that would be like the opposite thing I would I would head towards like I know people said you should watch like what what are the the films the pandemic films there's a couple isn't there that are like everyone's talking about literally not what I'm not I'm not going near that (laughs) my dad was like we should watch the pandemic film and I was like I don't gotta watch it like I'm living through it yeah you know yeah no we have a cultural strategist who was telling me about a book that came out a couple years ago that was about a plague in New York that forced like everyone to have to not interact and it was a little too, I was like I couldn't read it it feels too close to home but Louisa you mentioned uh you know having to adjust to the virtual classroom and that that was uh somewhat difficult for you uh, I'm curious Ben you've also had to adjust working with teams of designers using Zoom and Slack and other virtual tools uh, how has that experience changed or have empowered you to uh, stimulate creative minds? It's funny because the way I likened it at the beginning was like being thrown in a bath of cold water because, you know, even even in the studio, I would resist using Slack. You know, I kind of, I, I was always the one who wanted to have the conversation. I was kind of all about, you know, doing, doing things live and not always messaging things. But then when going into lockdown, I was kind of forced, forced into these, into these windows and these meetings that it had to, you had to be, you know, kind of, you had to change the way you did things and to be more thoughtful about it. 
But I think the byproduct of that is it's made me think harder about how I communicate, when I communicate, and, and who I need to communicate with properly. So I feel like you can't, you know, you can't, you know, be the creative director and, and having a kind of see every project and, and and have you know fingers in all those pies. You can't let anything slip. So my meetings are like saturated they've gone right up i have to be more organized but i feel like productivity is probably way better because i'm kind of forced into doing things more you know it stung a little bit i'd say but then but then after i got used to it and got into the groove of it i think that's fine and then looking back now i think that'll change me i feel like i will have a slightly different mindset about how i have to communicate i'd say creativity you have to really work at keeping up but the efficiency, I think we haven't had a problem keeping up. And actually, I feel like we've become a little bit more efficient in, in a way. Yeah. And then, uh, Louisa, as you have reflected on your own experience with the virtual classroom and hearing Ben talk, obviously, about a studio and you're three days into uh, working virtually with us. Do you think that working at a distance will become a new way to learn and build experiences? And do you think that will be uh, something that's important as you prepare, thinking about whether it be college or professional life? Yeah, I think like when I first started or even like when quarantine first started, I was kind of in this mindset of, oh, like things will be back to normal soon enough. And I was kind of not being productive in the sense of I was just waiting for things to go back to normal instead of, utilizing the time now I feel like doing this internship online is kind of teaching me to adapt and you know like this is what normal life is going to be like for a while at least until like spring you know so I think that whenever people are like oh I'm so sorry that you have to do your internship online I'm like well it's okay because everyone's gonna have to do this I'm just getting a little head start I guess people always ask me what I want to do all the time. And I'm always like, Oh, I don't know. Because I guess I don't have like experience. So how would I know that I like doing something? Cause I'm into so many different things. Like I'm into film, I'm into art, but I'm also really into global politics. So like maybe I could do something academic and do political science or I don't know, do law or something, or I could like go to art school. So I think like doing this internship here is kind of helping me decide what I want to do, but also showing me, I don't know what I like spending my time doing, I guess. Like, this is like perfect. I love the company. Like, <laughs> like everything sounds great. No, that's great. And I think both of you have now used this term, the new normal. And so I would love to know how you both would define the new normal as we, you know, we've entered this phase three and we're all talking about what the fall might even look like. Uh, so how would you define the new normal? Louisa, do you want to start? Uh, sure. I think the new normal is still social distancing. I think like even though um, all the restaurants and stuff are opening and like I have a pool in my building, it's also opening and like all the public spaces are opening. I think, I think the new normal is like kind of forcing yourself to reach out to friends. I miss the most the people in school that I had classes with but wasn't like really friends with because I'm not going to like text them. I just miss having sort of organic conversation with people that I kind of just meet. So I miss that a lot, but I think that we're going to have to like push ourselves to find new ways to do that. Yeah. First and foremost, I don't think probably anybody knows exactly what the new normal is going to be like. Just like this whole situation's happened. And then a bit like you were saying, you kind of, you know, you originally you think it's not going to be very long because when we, when we all 
kind of locked ourselves down. We figured out, you know, June, June, we'll be back, you know, and you're working your way through that. And then it's July. And then then all of a sudden we're talking about 2021. At some point along that journey, you you say, actually, this is going to go on for a bit longer than we think. So let's stop. You know, we, we know that so we can focus on that and we can think you know, through that, which I think is kind of what we're doing at Thought Matter now. But I, I also think the things I've noticed a little again little things but you know I've, I've spoken to like more people and had like happy hours with more people maybe before the pandemic i would say i would i would text a friend and say you coming to new york anytime soon would you fancy coming to new york and they'd be oh no no but we never then say oh let's have a zoom and talk to each other and spend two hours like you know chatting and, and blah, blah blah we would say well that's a barrier you're not coming to new york we're not going to see each other so we can't do anything else since this lockdown people have been more like well we can just connect one night get a beer talk one friend of mine who I hadn't spoken to for probably two years contacts me, says, oh, we should have a beer. So we have a beer. And like we've done it probably five times now. And it's kind of weird because it took a pandemic to get us to like communicate like that. And all of a sudden, these barriers that we, we thought we had got thrown away. And then I, I started noticing like one or two other people who I hadn't spoken to. And, and it's kind of opened the dialogues in areas that I wouldn't have ever had just because, you know, kind of I wouldn't have made the effort to do it or they wouldn't have made the effort to do it but I feel like the pandemic's just blown everything up so I think the new normal is finding ways to communicate I also think it makes you a bit more like starved for human connection like even when I just did a little like, FaceTime call with one of my friends I, I get I got like way more into it like before the pandemic I would like FaceTime my friends and I would be like on my phone at the same time or you know not engaged but now I'm like I want to get like everything out of it as much as I can. Both of you have talked about things that people don't normally do and I'd love to know from both of you what behaviors from people whether they be close friends or or relatives or what behaviors of people have surprised or comforted you the most during this time? I go back to that I think some of the people that have, that have like reached out I would never have imagined they would ever reach out. That to me is interesting. I think also you know New York for a while was such a epicenter hotspot whatever you want to call it and i think other countries media made it look really really bad it was very bad but the perception in england of what was going on in new york was like it was like a horror movie it was literally like they were watching a, a you know a zombie movie and the whole place was like on fire and i think that's why a lot of people were contacting me as well just to check in while they could you know that kind of that kind of thing so they'd obviously only seen the really really bad stuff you know from the outside looking in I guess it does look fairly horrible, doesn't it? For me, just having some people interact in ways that I wouldn't have thought they would have done this has been has been interesting. Same for me. Like I went to a party right before quarantine, like right before it was confirmed Corona was in New York and like all the schools shut down and everything. And I hung out with this person that's that's been in my class in high school for three years. And I've like kind of been friends with them and hung out with them like sometimes like with other people but never really like knew them well and then all of quarantine like we're super close now because that was like our last connection was right before and then we kind of just continued it and I don't think that if we didn't we weren't quarantined that would have happened there's less fear of reaching out maybe I think some people especially my age feel a bit anxious like making new friends or reaching out to people they don't usually talk to. So I think it kind of eliminates that. But also another thing that is kind of odd that comforted me is kind of like conflict in 
we would have a morning call every day for school and we would get into like little arguments sometimes. This kid and I in this, in the advisory have very opposing views. He's like more to the right and I'm like very to the left. So we would like have arguments and it would spark kind of like debates sometimes, but it was pleasant because it felt like, like real life. It felt like normal life, but it also, it didn't feel like I was attacking him or he was attacking me. It felt more like we were trying to get the most out of the discussion. And like the discussion continued on for several days after the call. It wasn't like hostile in any way. And I feel like if it was in person, there would be a lot of yelling and like hand movements and it would be, it would come off more aggressive. So I liked having a civil conversation with like opposing views. But something interesting, Louisa, you you talked about that I'd love to dig into is the idea of an exchange of information. And I think an exchange of information with all these virtual platforms and just being online is obviously changed. One of the things that we read all the time in the news is that your generation, Gen Z, are digitally native. You've grown up with phones and iPads and uh, all kinds of digital technology. So I'd love to know as you've, you know, again, wrapped up your 11th grade year in a virtual classroom, how do you think platforms such as Zoom, uh, how do you think that that is going to continue to change the way we exchange information, whether it's information, as you were saying, debates, dialogues, things you agree on, things you don't agree on? I think that what I was saying before kind of eliminates the sort of anxiety now with the whole Black Lives Matter movement, a lot of people are posting on their Instagram stories, like all these resources that you can use to donate to, you know, Black-owned businesses or for Black issues. Also, like other resources for white people to educate themselves. I've been sharing those resources as well. Like there's a master Google Doc with all the resources. And I think a lot of kids are more open to be engaged with it, I would say. Like a lot of people, I'm getting definitely like a lot more responses on my Instagram to things that I'm posting, even though it's like not something I personally made, they just want to like start a conversation about it. But I also think that things don't necessarily have to change because I think that with school, I had one teacher who he did a zoom call every day for class. And then he had separate tables in the zoom. So I would be having a discussion with only two other kids after like the PowerPoint lesson. So I think that that was the most, like I ever felt like I was learning this in the same way that I was learning during school, because I think that we really learn more from each other. I learn way more like discussing things with my peers or explaining things to my peers than I do from, you know, like an online resource or a PowerPoint presentation. I'm curious, Ben, um, when you hear Louisa talking about that, how does that sit with your experience? Again, leading a team, being in the world, looking at everything that's happening right now as a Gen Xer, you're looking at technology's ability to uh, enable this perception and these mindsets. A little history lesson, basically. Like my, my first technological gadget, I guess you would call it, was a pager. I know, and everyone laughs. But life was so simple then. It was so simple. Literally, go, you know, you would go to a phone box, you would phone a page, or you would leave a message, and then that person would phone you on your landline. So it was kind of that was that was how you used to do it. So, you know, I feel as a Gen Xer, you know, I've kind of through my life, I've always had to pick my weapon as far as what I wanna how far I wanna get into technology and how deep I wanna go, right? 
So, you know, at this point in my life, when I, I speak to, to Gen Zers and millenn- even millennials and find out that kind of, you know, all the different platforms and all the different feeds and all the different kind of places they find their information, it's like, like 95% of the time is news to me. It's kind of like, oh, wow, you know, like, I've never heard of that. I'll try that or, or whatever, you know. I mean, I mean, let's take TikTok as an example. Any, any self-respecting Gen Xer would not have TikTok on their phone. Because, you know, the perception of that when it came out was it was, it was teenagers dancing and kind of, you know, doing videos and that kind of stuff. So we so we quickly, like, we quickly dis- discarded that. But then, obviously, now the conversation is around, you know, it's it's obviously one of the biggest platforms in the world. It can kind of, you know, it can it can drive politics. It can make change. It can do all these other things, right? So as a creative director of the branding agency, I'm looking at that thinking, well, I can't dismiss it. I need to understand it. I need to know, right? But I look to people like yourself to, to understand it because if I was just to get it and try and understand it, I need somebody that's like immersed in it or somebody that's like, you know. Yeah, like for me, it's Facebook. Facebook is the platform that I don't use. Yeah. But it's funny that you talk about TikTok because just before this, I was meeting the strategy team and that's what we were talking about as well. But it was also like about like the TikTok dances, which is kind of like what older people know about TikTok, kind of. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Hey, I've I've admitted it. I'm not, you know, that's, that's true, isn't it? Yeah. But it is true. That's kind of my perception of seeing that is like, yeah, it's, it's, it's kids dancing. What do I want to do that for? At least for me, on my side of TikTok that I'm on, it's very like welcoming and kind of liberal, maybe. Yeah. And also very like critically, critical, a lot of critical thinking, I would say. It's always like questioning the government. And also there's a lot of like conspiracy theories, but that's a whole, that's a whole other thing. I guess my question would be then, as a as a forty nine year old man, what what does TikTok what can TikTok do for me? Mm, that's interesting. Or, or, do, or do you suggest I just stay clear of it because I've no I have no business. Oh, you should world. get it and then use your phone a lot so it like caters to you, and then you'll you'll like it. You'll like it once you get the things you want on your feed. Also, the other part of this is I'm trying to spend less time on my phone. Mm. So maybe you know I mean? download TikTok. <laughs> Don't download it. Because that's the other part yeah. about the, the pandemic. I've probably been on my phone a hell of a lot more. You know, I've been, I dare not look at screen time, but I imagine it's yeah. probably doubling. I turned off my screen time because I was like scared to know what it was. So I didn't even want to know. I just turned it off. Better off not, know, better off not knowing, aren't you? But you know, that you're, you know that you're on it too much, right? You know that you probably could. Do, you know, like your point earlier on about reading. But that's something I really... I, I, that was one thing I said to myself at the beginning of this lockdown. I really want to read more. But I haven't done it yet. But I, but I feel like if I could really get into that, then maybe I would spend less time on my phone. But also reading... Like what helped me read more was engaging less in technology. Not to make time for the reading, but more to... I don't know, like almost like train my attention attention span because I feel like when I'm on my phone or especially on TikTok, it's like I'm scrolling and it's like endless entertainment all the time, super fast. It's like at my fingertips. Well, I think what's interesting as you both were talking about TikTok, you haven't used it, Ben, but obviously you do. And talking about its political, most called power as to what happened in Oklahoma. I'm curious, Louisa, from your point of view, if you think that it will be technology and TikTok in particular will be used to uh, continue to influence, whether it be uh, campaigning around the election or the election itself. Oh, definitely, definitely. But I also think there's like a danger to having all this information on TikTok because a lot of the time I'll be scrolling and I'll see things that are just not true. Like I was saying before, there's like a lot of conspiracy theories on something called 
Pizzagate, if you know what that is. No, I don't know what it is. Sorry, I thought you asked me. No, I don't know. Basically, like, it's a whole conspiracy theory about how pedophilic politicians are running the world and how there's, like, a lot of sex trafficking going on behind the scenes with, like, influential people like the Clintons and stuff like that and, like, the royal family. But on TikTok, people will be saying things like this as if it's real, like, confirmed information. And then it'll, like, one of them was talking about Joe Biden. And then it, like, leads people my age into not supporting him. But then they also don't want to support Trump. So I think that kind of, like, further influences also the lack of political engagement. Because you're questioning things to the point where, like, none of the options are viable. I'm curious, as you've gone to and seen up close and personal um, these protests here in the city, uh, how do you see the impact of this movement to change mentalities around racial discrimination and police violence long term? I, I think that the biggest difference I've seen is kind of people looking at the bigger picture, seeing that it's not just a few isolated incidents or like the police force is bad and that's it. You know, I think there are a lot more conversations about systemic racism and kind of what that means. Also, a lot of the times when I'm watching the news with my parents, like even CNN, which is like I like and is reliable, they're kind of talking about police brutality and the whole Black Lives Matter movement as something separate, almost like they don't talk about the root of the problem, I think, or at least I don't see a lot of discussions about it, especially in the beginning. So I was seeing a lot of talking about the police force, but not a lot talking about how police brutality is a symptom of this systemic racism. I was going to say, I think, you t- I think from my point of view, that you've touched on it, is the conversations that I'm having now, conversations I've, I've never had, you know, the whole issue, I'm coming, I'm, I'm looking at it from different angles that I would never have looked at it from before. I always use English, England as a reference because, I mean, if, you know, somebody like somebody like Winston Churchill, for instance, let's talk about Winston Churchill for a second, who I was, when I, when I grew up, Winston Churchill was like God. I was taught that he was, he was this guy who basically was like led England through two world wars and basically out the other side and, you know, kind of stopped all the bad things happening. So he was like, he's a massive hero in the country. Stat, that was my, that was it. But then when you actually see this kind of uprising and, and you read about it and, you know, they were, they were defacing the Churchill statue in, in London, right? And the reason was because it turns out he had massive racist views. He kind of, you know, in England, England's not excused from this argument either. You know I mean? You know, you guys had slavery. We had a different kind of slavery and different kind of ways of doing things and raping and pillaging the world. So, you know, we were kind of pretty much up there as well. And that kind of conversation made, really made me question this kind of, you know, shit. I was taught one thing. I grew up believing something. And then the next thing, you know, it's all been turned on its head. And I have to kind of unpick all that, you know, which, you know, is something I hadn't thought about until, you know, three or four months ago. Another thing I've been thinking a lot about is like gentrification because I live in Harlem. And kind of the conversation, some conversations have been, well, you know, you're, you know, me and my wife are white. We live in Harlem. We're in a place that's traditionally African-American. You know, we are part of this attack on this kind of community where, you know, you know, some elements of that community will look at us and say, well, these, these guys are you know, coming in and with, with the money and, and, you know, kind of getting what they want and pushing other people out. It's tough. And I mean, all you, all you can do is educate yourself and try and kind of 
you know, make these decisions and see kind of, you know, where you go with it. I like, I, I thought it was interesting that you kind of talked about it, like about ethics, because I also see that a lot, like looking at racism um, and questioning institutions that we have now through a lens of ethics. Like I hear a lot of people saying you can't be anti-racist without being anti-capitalist. And now like with this entire Black Lives Matter movement, it's like making people question the ethics of other systems that we have in place. My family, we, we were looking to buy a house in the, in New York, in the city. And we, all the houses that my mom was showing me were in neighborhoods that we would be, you know, gentrifying if we moved to. And like, I also had a big like dilemma about it. Like, of course I want to live in a nice house. Like I don't want my parents to spend that much money on it. But at the same time, like I can't say that I support black issues and am an activist, but then I am willingly moving into a neighborhood that I would be potentially gentrifying. When you think of the vision of the future and you think about what and how, you know, we see the world and how we impact the world, I think that this is such a critical moment for everybody. What would you both tell future generations about this moment? Like, what is a memory of this moment we're living in? Generally, when, when there's been, like, things happen in, in life that have, right, kind of been bad, there's always a positive follows it somehow. So, you know, like, if, if there's some dark moment, there's always some bright moment. I keep that in my mind through this through this situation, right? There's, I mean, this is as dark as it gets in a way, you know? I think that I would tell a future generation... Like, no one lives long enough to see, like, political patterns or, like, the patterns of how we, like, our beliefs and how we live, I guess. Like, what you're experiencing now isn't going to be forever. Like, eventually, it's going to shift to the next thing, and then it'll shift back. And I think that we're just constantly experiencing that. But I'm never, like, living through all of it, and no one will ever live through all of it. So we kind of just repeat the same thing over and over, which is why I think... I would also tell the future generations to pay a lot of attention to historical context. It's incredible to think that we are now in the second year of this pandemic. For me and my team at Thought Matter, March 13th will mark an entire year of working and producing this podcast from home. This interview with Ben and Louisa was in fact our very first recording, so it was only fitting that we brought it back as our sixth episode to put things into perspective. Our conversation was a reminder that 2020 wasn't a throwaway year. We can't afford to live through this moment and forget what we've learned. When asked how they want future generations to remember this moment, the optimist in Ben says beauty will emerge from the chaos, while Louisa wants us to pay closer attention to historical context because it's easy to forget past injustices. This, to me, was the perfect millennials angle. To be truly ethical, we must remember where we come from so we know where we should go next. After all, history is watching. <laughs>